Hello. It is a little strange being up here. Um, so the title of my message is, The Things You Tolerate Will Come Back to Annihilate You. And um, it's June the 24th, 2014. Um, it's particularly difficult to preach the message now that we had this awesome service, worship service, and the presence of God was really sweet. But I have to believe, because I asked the Lord to give me another message, because Pastor Eric used a lot of my scriptures on Sunday, and um, he asked me Sunday morning, I had this message for about a year, but he asked me Sunday morning, and I said yes, and then he used all my scriptures, and I said, Lord, I can't preach that. I said, you used, he used all my scriptures, but um, I asked the Lord to give me a different one, and he wouldn't. So he said, I want you to preach what I gave you. Amen. So um, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I thank Pastor Eric and Jennifer uh, for allowing me to get up here. And um, I hope that there is something in here. It may not apply to you right this minute, but I can almost promise you that it will apply to you at some time in your life. Amen. And you need to hold on to the truth. Amen. Um, so we're just going to look at Psalm 8611 right now. And I'm not as fast as Dustin, so to turn the page, <laughs> to turn the page. So um, to introduce it, I want to uh, read this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. You know, the problems with our, with our hearts are they're constantly being divided. It's constantly being filtered with the world and uh, things that we entertain or think. And so our hearts are constantly being made to be separated from God. And if we don't guard them, if we don't do everything the Word says, then we can easily fall into a really dark place. And um, I want to read um, some out of Psalm 140 through 143. So as I was um, preparing for this message, I came across these scriptures, and um, it was King David crying out to God on a lot of different levels, and I thought it was perfect for what we should do when we get in a mess. Um, you know, the first verse says, Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Protect me from men of violence who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. Don't we have an enemy that attacks us every day? He's wanting to pull us down, always. And so we have to really be on guard. Um, drop down to four. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from men of violence who plan to trip my feet. Proud men have hidden a snare for me, and they have spread out the cords of their net and have set traps for me along my path. The enemy has traps. He's laid them out. And he is watching us to see where we're weak. He watches us to see the places that we've stumbled before. And he sets a trap and he lays it and he hopes we make it. He hopes that we fall into that trap. So he cried out to God in verse 6. He says, O Lord, I say to you, you are my God. Hear, O Lord, my cry for mercy. And if you'll go into Psalm 141 and go to verse 3. 
It says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips and let my heart be drawn, let not my heart be drawn to what is evil to take part in wicked deeds. Um, that is uh, something that I pray often. Lord, set a guard over my lips because a lot of times it's our mouth that gets us in trouble. You know, we, say, we think things and then we say them. Or, you know, we entertain these things. And once we've said them out loud, we begin to dwell on them. And sometimes they get us on the downward spiral. Um, but in verse 8, he says, My eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Go into uh, Psalm 142 and 5. It says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say to you, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. When you get desperate and you cry out to him, he hears you. But sometimes you've got to get desperate. You know, and you've got to get desperate enough to want your heart to be changed. Because this is the thing about the tolerance that I want to bring out, is that we have things in our lives and they're not so bad. You know, they're just not really that bad. They're little things we do, just things that we might say or places we might go or people we might entertain that are not godly. Uh, there are movies that we might watch or there's lots of little things and you know we can convince ourselves that all those things are just okay but how do you know that this is not going to be the thing that's going to trip you up how do you know that I mean if God tells us not to do certain things then why should we do them you know if he tells us not to associate with ungodliness then why do we do it you know, why do we entertain things that we shouldn't entertain? So our hearts can be divided because we're not obedient and in the little things. And so as we look at King David and how he prayed in verse 143, he, in verse 6 it says, I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. I want to get next to him when I'm in trouble. I want to get next to him. I don't want to go somewhere or be in a place with people who are not going to get me to the right place. I want to be next to him because that's the only way I'm going to get back on track. So 40 years, you know, we've been walking with God. And I can honestly say I've never once thought about going back. That, that's, that's never happened. But I can't say that I haven't entertained things in my mind that would have caused me to go astray if I'd have continued on a path. You know, and I, I'll say, for instance, one of the things would be being hurt. You know, I, we had a severe wound in our life, and um, it, it just about devastated us, and we'd been saved a long time. But I kept feeling sorry for myself. You know, I couldn't get over it. I kept feeling sorry for myself, and then depression hit me. And so I'm dealing with depression now. I'm dealing with depression and isolation and all these other things. And 
I don't know how long it took. I kept crying out to God for mercy. That's what I did. I cried out to God for mercy. I prayed in the Spirit. I didn't know how to pray any other kind of way, but I prayed in the Spirit. And when I prayed in the Spirit, I would know that He was still there. I would know that He was still near me. So in that, in that hour, the Lord revealed to me, you haven't done what I told you to do. You haven't stopped thinking the thoughts that are not right. You know, so I allowed myself to get in that place. And then when I began to realize that I had to do spiritual warfare, I had to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. And I began to speak the word to myself. I began to, to look into the word and I began to read everything that would uplift me, everything that would encourage me, and everything that would point me back in the right direction. So I see that King David did that this time. But can't we all agree that there was a time when King David didn't do it? I mean, in 2 Samuel 11, when um, he was to go out to war, as kings go out to war, he didn't go. So he wasn't standing guard at that time when he fell with Bathsheba. You know, but the good thing about King David is that King David was remorseful when confronted by his sin. Amen. And he repented of his sin. So he, he's a good example to us how you can pray the right way, you can get through the tough times, you can move on. But he's also one who fell, like we all do, because we're all flesh, and we're weak at times. But I want to talk about, this is the, the scripture that uh, Eric uh, stole. <laughs> First Kings um, 20. It's so funny, stealing scripture. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of kings. The first one being um, King Ahab. But um, as he read most of it, we'll read some of it. Um, verse 1, Benadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, and accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots, he went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. And he sent a messenger into the city to Ahab, king of Israel saying, This is what Benadad says, Your silver and gold are mine. The best of your wives and your children are mine. And I noticed in verse 4 that it says, The king of Israel answered, Just as you say, my lord and king. That's what we do. That's what we do with the devil. We say, Okay, you can, you can have that little area, because I can't conquer it. I can't seem to get over it. You know, it's just, it's a wound. I just can't get over it. So we allow ourselves that little, that little sin. And, uh, you know, that's the first mistake you make is to surrender. If you, had, if you agree with the devil, then you're destined to fall. Yes. So, you know, as long as he's speaking lies in your ear and you're listening to him and agreeing with him, then you're, you're going to do just what he did. You're going to surrender. But um, as we go down, we see that um, in verse 6, but about this time, tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your officials, and they will seize everything you value and carry it away. Wow. It, wasn't, it, it was okay to let go of his gold and silver and his wives. That was fine. What else did he not want to give up? I mean, what, what else was he holding on to that he didn't want to give up? But um, all of a sudden, he decides he's going to make his stand, and he said he can't surrender that. So... Um, when we talk about um, a prudent man, in Psalm 22:3, a prudent man sees danger and he takes refuge. 
That's what we got to do. We got to see the danger ahead. We got to look ahead and see where that can go. You know, um, our uh, we can't give an inch. We can't get. We can't give an inch. You can't open the door. You can't negotiate with the devil. But that's what that's what Ahab tried to do. You know. Um, so, but then he decides after he gets a word from God that uh, they're going to win. He decides that he's going to take on the king. So they fought the battle. But um, he said in verse eighteen, if they come out for peace, take them alive, and if they've come out for war, take them alive. And the young officers of the provincial commanders marched out of the city with the army behind them, and each one struck down his opponent. And at that, the Arameans fled with the Israelites in pursuit. But Benadad, king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen. And then always, the devil always escapes. You know, we, he thinks he's won the war because he's won a battle. But in verse 22, there was a great warning. Afterward, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. So what does the word tell us about the devil? He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's coming back. So if we conquer something and we overcome it and we think that's a done deal... I'll give you a testimony about that. I was, um, I was filled with fear. Not just because I had to get up here and speak. That's a different kind of fear. But I mean fear of the kind that you can't go in your house without looking under the bed. I was filled with a tremendous fear, like, like a really bad demonic type fear. And so as um, I, I lived in a very rough home life and that attributed to it, but... When I got saved, God delivered me. It was gone. It's over. And um, I had peace for the first time in my life. And a lot of years later, I thought I had the victory over it, you know. A lot of years later, somebody came into our house and um, stole some things while we were gone. And that fear tried to come on me again. And Charlie was working nights, so I was alone a lot. And... um, And the fear was just tremendous. But I had experienced his peace. I knew what it was like to be free. I I hadn't been a captive for all those years. And I was bound and determined that I was not going to be a captive again. So what I did was I took the word of God. And I I quoted it all, all as long as I needed to every night. Every night. I would say it every night. The same scripture. The Lord making me to lie down in peace and sleep. I had my King James back then. Um, and, and I quoted the whole scripture. And, you know, not to be afraid of the terror that comes at night and all that. Uh, and so th- that after, I don't know, how long? Two weeks, maybe? All of a sudden, I noticed it was gone. It was a presence. It was an actual presence that I felt. And it was thick, you know? And so I was free from that. And so... I learned from that lesson, got to apply it to every area of our life, though. It's not just about fear. It's about every other thing that the enemy tries to come against us with, every little trick that he tries to come against us with, that, that I have to stand my ground. And the only way I can do it is if I believe that God's word is true and what he says he means. Amen. And so, so I stood my ground and the fear left 
And every time it tries to come back, I refuse to allow the enemy in. You're not, having, you're not having that foothold in my life again. And even, even like singing my whole life. You know, I've been singing my whole life. Every time I get up to sing, my knees knock. I get all nervous and everything. But I refuse to stop. I refuse to let the devil have, have his way with me. Because I know that God has given me something that he wants to use. And sometimes I think it sounds terrible because I'm so nervous. But God said, don't worry about it. He said, not, not you. He said, I, I, you're a vessel. You know, just so, you know, I continued to step out in that. But um, Benadad wanted more because a little is never enough. When you give him a little, little bit of room, he's going to make sure he takes more. He always does. So, you know, say a few curse words every now and then. I mean, that's not that bad, you know. And the next thing you know, you got filthy language coming out of your mouth all the time. You know, I mean, I'm talking about little stuff. Little stuff that will cause other people to stumble. Because they see it and you know, like, man, he's not much of a Christian. Look at his temper. Look how he flares up and gets angry. You know, so there are things that we need to conquer that we consider small things. But God warns us the devil's coming back. So... Um, they won the victory, but there's, there's this tendency when we win a victory to take mercy for granted. Um, don't mistake mercy for God be, tolerating those things. Just because you've skipped over it and gone, you know, and done it a few more times, don't think God just allows that. He doesn't wink at sin. The enemy's coming back, and the enemy will devour you. So, in verse 22, it says, Strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. So, they, you know, prepare themselves for the battle. And then, in verse 28, The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says, Because the Arameans think the Lord is the God of the hills and not a God of valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord. It wasn't because they were so great. Because God wanted to show his power to the enemy. So don't think that just because you got away with it that it's okay, because it's not. So um, when we think about the things that, that come in, we think about what the Word of God says. And James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. But is it that simple? I mean, is that all? Do we just have to just say that? No, you've got to stand your ground. You can't, you can't relinquish the ground that you've gained to the enemy because he's good at what he does, really good at what he does. He's a deceiver. Recently, not too long ago, I had to repent from in front of the church, well, the prayer, um, because... Um, I allowed thoughts to come in my mind that weren't of God. He said that, you know, devil's telling me that you're useless. There's nothing here for you to do. Everybody has a job but you. And, you know, I entertained it. I mean, entertained. I felt sorry for myself, and I entertained it. And then kept on entertaining it for a few days. And then... I guess Eric meant to encourage me, but he really called me out. 
gave me a word. <laughs> gave me a word that, you know, I was needed here. And um, he said, do you feel better when he gave the word? And I couldn't say yes because I felt worse. <laughs> because I felt convicted. I'm like, oh my God, the pastor's got to call me out because I let this thing get in my heart, you know? And I'm just being real with y'all because I want y'all to know that I, I'm not saying stuff that um, I don't have to apply to my own life. I really do. Because as long as I've served God, the enemy still hates me. You know, he still wants me down for the count where I'm of no good. And as long as I'm thinking a lie or believing a lie, then he's got me. So um, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 10, 6 through 10. These are familiar scriptures to y'all. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we know that, you know, we're not the only one that's being attacked, that our brothers are being attacked also. But don't get together and have a pity party together. That's the wrong thing to do. You got to go and get with somebody who will encourage you to do what's right. Because that's what my husband does to me. He said, that's a lie. He said, that's a lie. Don't you believe that? And, you know, I'm like, you're just Charlie Brown. You're just my husband. You know, you love me. Of course you think that. But, you know, he he really speaks the truth to me in love, and he tries to get me out of that mindset because he knows it's wrong. And I appreciate him for it. Because he loves me in spite of my failures. Sometimes I have to encourage him. Not Not that often. So God's mercy gives us another chance to repent. You know, he gives us another chance to repent, but we can't take that for granted. And I think that's the danger in falling into something numerous times is that you get to the place where, oh, he'll forgive me. You know, I'll get by. I'll get over this. And yeah, it becomes cheap. And we should never take for granted the grace that he's poured out and given us another opportunity to get it right. You know, I mean... And we can strengthen our brothers. You know, when we've been through something just like those kind of things. I've had a lot of young women, they come to me and they've been down or depressed or whatever. And I tell them what I went through and then tell them how the Lord helped me to get out of it. And it helps them. So you can do the same thing with whatever your struggle is. You can use it for the glory of God instead of allowing the enemy to have a heyday. So um, one thing that... um, I thought was really interesting is that, I'm sorry, uh, in 32, verse 32 of uh, chapter 20 in 1 Kings, wearing sackcloth around their waist and ropes around their heads, they went to the king of Israel and said, your servant Benadad says, please let me live. The king answered, is he still alive? He's my brother. The men took this as a good sign and were quick to put, uh, pick up his word. And yes, your, your brother Benadad, they said. Go and get him. And the king said, When Benadad came out, Ahab had him come up into his chariot. I will return the cities my father took from your father, 
Benadad offered, and you may set up your own market areas in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Ahab said, on the basis of a treaty, I will set you free. So he made a treaty with him, and he let him go. Do you all think that was a mistake? Yes. All right, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy 7. You're just too fast, Dustin. So in the first four verses, the Lord gives some pretty serious orders. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Look in verse 16. You must destroy all the peoples the Lord your God gives over to you. Do not look on them with pity and do not serve their gods for they will be a snare to you. So Ahab was disobedient to God's word. He should have taken the man's life because that's what the law required him to do. But that's why you have to annihilate your enemy and you can't tolerate him. You can't, you can't let him play at your house because he's going to win. <clears throat> you can't compromise God's word. You've got to take God's word for what it says and do it. Um, so who are we to think we're strong enough to disobey God's word? I mean, how do we think we're going to win? I don't know. I, I, I walked in the world a long time ago, and um, there was nothing in there that I want to go back to. And everything I see in it now, there's nothing I want to go to. I mean, people are not happy. They're miserable. And there's, I mean, life's not meaningful. And, I mean, it's empty. Why would we want to fool around and mess up, take a, even a, just a slim chance and maybe falling away? You know? Um, so I want to look at Second uh, Chronicles 22, 24 and look at another king. So, um, well, let's start, I'm sorry, let's start before that. Um, actually, the story starts in 22. Did I say 22? Okay. Um, so, in verse 2, you see that Ahazi was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year, and his mother's name was Athaliah, a granddaughter of Omri. And he, too, walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother encouraged him in doing wrong. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for after his father's death they became his advisors to his undoing. So what happens to one generation is going to affect the next. This guy is following after, listening to his mother, encouraging him, him to do wrong, and he's actually killed. And so... Um, if you look in verse 7, through Ahazi's visit to Jehoram, God brought about Ahazi's downfall. And when Ahazi arrived, he went out with Joram to meet Jehu, son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. And while Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahazi's relatives 
who had been attending Ahazi, and he killed them. And he then went in search of Ahazi. So, the, when the, look in verse 10, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahazi, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family, which was horrific. Um, but Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahazi, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because Jehoshiba, the daughter of King Jehoram and the wife of the priest Jehoiada was Ahaziah's sister, she hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. And he remained hidden with them in the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. And I read that Athaliah was the only break in the continuity of the Davidic dynasty, that she ruled under her own name and that she could have corrupted the whole line and um, she was a very wicked woman who killed all of her grandsons except the one. And, um, and so they kept him. And um, when in verse 16, they killed her. And in verse 16, Jehoiada met, then made a covenant with he and the people and the king and would be the Lord's people. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. And they smashed the altars and the idols and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Down in chapter 24, the first verse, Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zibiah, and she was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest. All the years of Jehoiada the priest. He didn't continue on. So who are you going to let lead you down the wrong path? I mean, the scripture tells us if you're mother or your brother, Deuteronomy 13.6, entices you to sin. You don't go with them. You don't do it. So he, he was um, obedient for the season that uh, Jehoiada lived. And then Jehoiada died and he was buried and, and went with the kings. And so um, in verse 17, after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. And they abandoned the temple of the Lord, and the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. And although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, they, though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, who was son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood before the people and said, This is what the Lord says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kindnesses of Zechariah's father. Jehoiada had and shown him, but killed his son, who said as he lay dying, May the Lord see this, and called you into account. Um, so it's so easy for us to forget the mercy of God. He got us out of that mess. We're escaped, you know, might be in a, a bad wreck because of something we shouldn't have been doing, somewhere we shouldn't be or whatever, and we might have escaped. But we can't take that for granted and forget about the Lord's kindness because he's going to call us into account. In verse 23, at the turn of the year, the army of Aram, the same army 
that we talked about earlier, that they did not destroy, came and marched against Joash. It invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people, and they sent all the plunder to their kings in Damascus. So I'd like to say it ends there, but it really doesn't. It doesn't end there. Um, when, When they went into the temple... They brought back all their Asherah poles and everything. Um, The Lord sent prophets to them and warned them, repent, repent, repent. But they wouldn't. And we can be stubborn like that sometimes. God can tell us that's not right. You've got to get that right. If you don't get that right, then, you know, judgment's going to come. But he didn't remember the kindness. I mean, they spared his life. They saved his life. He didn't remember that. He had them killed. So... Uh, eventually, your tolerance will come back to annihilate you. <clears throat> and I, I, we're going to just look at it briefly, but Amaziah, who's the son of Joash, in chapter 25, he didn't follow the Lord wholeheartedly either. Well, he didn't have a very good example. But in verse 16, there's warnings. 20, they refused to listen. 27, they killed him. You can't tolerate sin. You can't tolerate sin because what you do affects your kids. What you don't stop now will be passed down to the next generation. We've seen it. I mean, we lived a long time and we've seen it over and over. That people tolerate things in their life and they might be their secret sin. You know, and nobody else might know about it. But what does that one click cost you? I mean... You can lose everything you have. And we've seen it. Or like people that just decide they want to gamble their money and lose their houses and pensions and everything else. They lose everything. Their families, everything. Because they can't control themselves. So I want to talk about what we can do. And um, I want to look at a few things that we, 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 can't, we can't tolerate at all. One of them is unforgiveness. Uh, 1 John 2, 9 through 11. If I can find it. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. There is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. We can't tolerate unforgiveness. And it's easy to have it and to think that it's okay. I mean, we can have ought against somebody and we feel like we're justified because they actually did something wrong, which they, they probably did. But we don't have the right to not forgive them because Christ forgave us. So it starts with an offense and then it ends up and wrath, and anger, strife, hatred, murder. You know, there's a progression in all of our sins that goes deeper. And um, so the next thing I want to talk about is unfaithfulness. Um, Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Anybody unfaithful in their tithe? Anybody think that they can hold on to some of it and not give all of it to God because... They need it. Unfaithful in your Bible reading. Unfaithful in your prayer life. 
unfaithful in serving. Those are all little secret things that not everybody knows about. But it can be a real stumbling block. Because you know what it produces? Lovers of self. That's what it produces. I mean, we don't become lovers of God by holding on to stuff and by doing what's best for us. We become lovers of God by giving just like he gave to us. And that will result in a shipwrecked faith if you allow it to go that far. It can. That's my pet peeve. Sorry. And unholiness. Um, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am, un- I am holy. And so the Lord requires us to move up. I mean, we can't stay where we are. I mean, nothing, we're never good enough, and we're never going to be good enough, but we're going to keep on striving to be better. Amen. And we're going to draw nearer to that holiness by separating ourselves from the things that have entrapped us or caused us problems. And, you know, it starts with impure thoughts, and I, I, I admit, I call what I did unholy because I was thinking something that was against God. And, and so, you know, that's unholy. And if I let that go, then I can fall into a further trap. And then I can have aught with my brothers and find a reason why I got to leave here, you know. Isn't that what people do? They get an offense. I don't belong here. Nobody likes me. I might as well go eat worms. And they leave, pack their, pack their bags and leave. You can't afford it. You can't afford to do it because, like Eric says all the time, the next place you go, you're going to bring that with you. And so let's, let's look at Colossians 3. So this is how you get out of it. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So that's number one. Set your heart on things above. Um, So scripture tells us to think on whatever's good, lovely, pure, have a good report. When we don't do that, then we're being disobedient to God's word. Number two, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You can't be consumed with the things that are here, earthly things. We have to be consumed with him. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The next thing is put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So that indicates that there's something that we have to do about it. We have to put it to death means it's not just going to go. We have to resist it. Um, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of you, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these, I'm sorry, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, 
See if y'all fall into any of these categories. Anger, mal rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Number five, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Skip down to 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Number seven, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Number 10, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Number 11, be thankful. We just forget to be thankful for all that he's done for us already. I mean, if he never did another thing, he's done enough. But we forget that. You know, we, we want this and we want that, and we allow our minds to go where they shouldn't go and think about carnal things rather than spiritual things. So, um, let's see. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. We need to do it all as unto the Lord. Everything we do, we need to do it as unto the Lord. And we were sharing at the ladies' uh, Bible study about um, the also principle, which is, Pastor Eric talks about it all the time, if you see something needs to be done, you do it. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. You do it. And um, we, we need to go the extra mile. I mean, Jesus said, if they ask you to go one mile, you go two. If they want your shirt, you give them your coat also. You know, we need, we need to go beyond the minimum. And this church never teaches about minimum. You know, it, it always teaches, and we have great examples, great examples. But still, there's some people that are really still falling behind because they're allowing these little things to trip them up. Instead of getting the victory over this one area, you allow that thing to keep you down in the dirt, down at the altar every week, and you could have the victory if you really trusted him, if you really put your faith in him and let him work through you in these things. Because I'm convinced we don't have to stay the same. We're not, he never intended for us to stay the same. He called us to a higher calling. Our purposes and the plans that he has for us are great. But we'll never re reach that greatness if we allow these things to cripple us. So I just feel like the Lord just wanted me to encourage you guys that he knows your little secret sins. He knows your little weaknesses, but he, don't, he doesn't really like them. And he wants you to get rid of them. He wants you to take authority over the thing that's taken charge over your life, uproot it, get it out once and for all, be rid of it. And let him rule your heart in every area. You know, I wrote this song one time, and I don't remember it all, so I'm not going to sing it. But, um, but it was about the secret places that we reserved for ourselves, that we, didn't, we never wanted him to go inside of. We didn't allow him to purify that because we, we somehow wanted to hold on to that place, whether it's a hurt or anything else, you know. 
And really there's such liberty and freedom in allowing him to come into your heart and to wash it and to regenerate it with his word that you feel such power that you never had before. And your life counts for something. And he wants to do more with it than you are letting him do with it because of the things that you let inside. What a great sermon example, huh? The Lord loves our weaknesses. Proverbs 10:19 says where words are many, sin is not absent. It's amazing how the slack areas of your life find you out, huh? The king that she spoke so much about, Joash, in 2 Chronicles 25 and 26, do you know who killed Joash? Those who conspired against him were Zebad, and you go on down, the other one was Jehozabad. Sounds like he was hanging, hanging out with a bad crowd, huh? He gave up the things of God and the mentorship of a priest to go hang out with two bad characters. One of them was the child of a Moabite that speaks of incest. And the other was the product of an Ammonite, also speaks of incest. I don't think anything could confirm Joe's word more than when we try to mix that which is pure with that which is unpure. Ultimately, it separates you from what's pure. It just does.